From the ISC, I am Lara Pedley and welcome to the ISC podcast, where I speak with inspiring insurance leaders about networking, mentorship and building a successful career in insurance. For today's episode, I'm absolutely thrilled to have with me Sam White. Sam is a true business initiator, having set up her first company at 24. Motivated by a desire to change the insurance industry for the better and level the playing field, Sam has become known for her promotion of women and diversity in the financial service sector. With a collective turnover in assets of 15 million, Sam employs over 240 people in the UK, Gibraltar and Australia. A vocal supporter of equal rights in the workplace, 67% of Sam's directors are women. As a mother of two, philanthropy is important to Sam. She has established a foundation with the goal of supporting some of the most worthy humanitarian causes locally, nationally and internationally. I have so many questions, um, but I'm going to start with Elephant in the Room. You set up your first company when you were 24 years old. Can you tell us a bit about how that all came about? Um, yeah, and people always say, and why insurance? And I haven't yet come up with a decent justification for that. To <laughs> that be was going to be my second yeah. question. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so I had a series of life events that made me probably question what I was doing. So um, at 23, I was having a water fight in the kitchen at three o'clock in the morning with some friends. (laughs) As you do. (laughs) Yeah, um, not advised. um, And I managed to break my leg. Quite badly. Um, I dislocated my ankle and I broke my leg. And the net result of that was that I was trapped on my sister's couch for six weeks. Mm. Um, And I think being forced to pause sometimes can be like a really powerful tool. Mm. Um, And at the time, I had a really good job. I was earning 50 grand a year. I got a company car. Um, The company was pretty awful in terms of the pressures that they put on you so I was working 14 15 hour days I was Mm. also five stone overweight smoking like a chimney Mm. and I just had this sort of moment of is this really how you want to live um shortly after that about a month after that my mum died and then shortly after that I split up with my boyfriend and I think the combination of those three things just really made me evaluate Mm. like it I'm not you only get one life yeah like I don't want to live it um on a hamster wheel working for somebody else and you know just scrabbling to make money when ultimately it's not making me happy Mm. Okay, so the next question is, why insurance? How, how did you come up with your, your business plan back then? Um, so, uh, and again, I think you should be really honest about this stuff. I think there's a perception that when people uh, realise a certain amount of success that it's all really well planned out. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not. So, uh, you know, the, the company that I work for <laughs> that I was quite successful at um, was a claims company. So okay. they handled motor insurance claims. Um, and my job was to go out and encourage insurance brokers to use the service. And when I set up on my own, I, I started just 
literally with a phone and a desk in my sister's conservatory, phoning brokers and saying, will you give me a chance at this? So the insurance part of the business didn't come until many years later, Mm. but I'd been in and around the insurance community by providing services to them for a number of years. And it really was just a case of seeing the opportunities that develop from that. And um, when you're trying to build a business from scratch, you have to be very flight of foot. So if mm. an opportunity comes to you and uh, and you've got that opportunity to take it, then my mm. answer was always, yep, mm. I'll do that. I'll find a way. Um, so, yeah, I, it wasn't that I necessarily chose insurance. Mm. Having said that, that again um it's a massive worldwide industry i mean Mm. i always say when i say to people that uk motor insurance i think it's worth about 40 billion Mm. they always take a step back and they're like i had no idea it was you know it it had that much money in it Mm. and i think there's a tendency um for women to not be attracted to the financial services sector but actually, if we're really going to change things, mm. we need to be engaged in the industries that have the biggest impact on society. And, yeah, absolutely. you know, financial services is a, is a, is a big lever. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, we, we're supporting society as a whole. Um, yes, absolutely. As an industry. Yeah, and, you know, and I do, you know, I'm quite romantic about the concept of insurance. I like the idea of a group of people coming together to support that one vulnerable individual yeah um and and i don't think we play on that enough i think our reputation as an industry and our brand as an industry is pretty poor Mm. and we should we should do more to improve that Mm. so what were some of the reactions from the brokers back in the day when you when you were asking them to take a chance on you um so i still remember the very first broker that said yes and it was a guy called athel at Bruce Burke Insurances in Essex. Um, and, and I've always had a massive fondness for Essex as an area. Mm. And I've still got a, a lot of my brokers that sell the pucker product now are in Essex. And I, I'm from the north of England. And I, I say that, that we should be twinned with town in Essex because there's a very similar <laughs> kind of vibe that goes between. Um, I'm quite sure he didn't realise I was sat in my sister's conservatory um, and I, I would muffle the sound of the rain coming down when I was talking to them so that they wouldn't know. But he did connect with uh, what I was communicating to him, which was, I, I think I can do a good job for you on this. Will, will you give me a chance? Mm. And, you know, in life in general, I think the biggest opportunities that I've had have been people... Uh, connecting with that mm. and being prepared to to give you a chance and, and actually some of the um, charity projects that we're looking at now are very much focused around that mm. um, how how do you give people a chance that that might not get one otherwise mm. or maybe have made mistakes in the past um, so yeah great so that so this is Action 365 that we're talking about. Is this what you launched when you were 24? Yes, it was. Yeah, yeah. So how do we get from calling that one broker and getting one broker to give you a chance to Action 365? Yeah, so, I mean, we've got about four businesses in the group now. Um, we employ 270 people. And I think last count, we turned over about 18 million. So... It, it, makes a change from it's a change. your sister's conservatory <laughs> muffling is. the rain yeah it is um and i i would say 
very much one day at a time, mm. one opportunity at a time. Um, we've had some incredible challenges over the years and I, I nearly lost all of the businesses in 2013 when there was um, quite a significant regulatory change in the claims environment. Um, but, but for me, I've always been about building a team of people that mm. are kind of do or die, mm. um, that will fight for you, that you, you've got that kind of common goal that you're going for. And I, I know categorically I would have never have got where I am today if it wasn't for for those individuals Mm. so how do you go about growing a team like that um so the the very first person that I hired and I use the phrase loosely um she may never forgive me but um (laughs) my my best friend since I was four is a lady called Eleanor um Lumsden and I actually did a post on LinkedIn about her which which had a phenomenal um Response. I think friendship is something that people all connect with. And, mm. uh, you know, we were both like, we ended up getting about 110,000 views on this post, oh, wow. <laughs> just, which is just this, this friendship post. But when I was sat in the conservatory, um, Ellie uh, walked in one day and it was absolute carnage. There was like, there was invoices everywhere. There was, it was, because I was just selling, right? I mm. was just doing kind of creating business opportunities and doing deals um admin has never been a strong point of mine and ellie noticed that the the checkbook was on the table and that um i'd paid for a chinese takeaway using the company checkbook (laughs) she was like you can't do that sam you know you're not allowed to do that and i was like but i'm really you know i'm really busy um and i kind of looked at her and i was like i don't suppose and she was like go on (laughs) and she she left a really good job and came and joined me and she picked up all of that admin she's very organized she's very thorough and i then released myself to to carry on doing deals Mm. and i think as as i've gone on what I've tried to do is recognize at a point that we either there's something missing in me my skill set my capabilities that I need to supplement with with somebody else Mm. um or that the business itself has a need that has surpassed the current team Mm. environment and then just add to um but you you've got to kind of balance that with um for me being self-funded you've, you've got to make sure that the opportunity is there that mm. that justifies so I would constantly be looking for the revenue opportunity that would allow me to be able to pay for the next member of staff. Mm. I think that's a really important message as well not trying to do everything yourself and allowing you to bring people in when it's time or um, to free you up to do what you're what you're best at. And, and, and my skill set is quite narrow, really, in terms of what I'm, I'm good at. And I recognise that. Mm. And I, I always I think my biggest frustration with people is their inability or, or their um, reluctance to to accept those 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 vulnerabilities, mm. because absolutely if you can't let go of those areas that aren't your core competency Mm. you'll never get further forward and I I, I see founders that say I can't I can't let people do anything you know I have to do it all myself Mm. and nothing gets done unless it's me and I just think you, you, you are your biggest barrier. Mm. You, you are the thing that's limiting because if, if you can't let that stuff go, mm. you'll never be free to, to, to kind of and do the fun stuff. Right? <laughs> I, I get the, like the best job. Have you always been good at uh, the selling part? Have you always had the confidence to go out there and make the deals? 
Um, so sales is definitely my background. I did uh, telesales in, in the summer holidays when I was at university and made a decent amount of cash that I used to take all my friends out on the, um, <laughs> on the razzle-dazzle with. Um, but so I, I don't see sales as a, a confidence thing. I actually suffered quite badly with panic attacks in my 20s, and this is when I was selling significant amounts in, with with a previous company but I have definitely always enjoyed the sales bit because Mm -hmm. that for me is about connecting with people and trying to find an opportunity between the two of you that you Mm -hmm. can kind of build something. And just just touching on the panic attack um, episodes was there anything that helped you get over that period of time? I'm so, assuming you don't still have I don't know, but I mean it was it was probably a ten year period. It was probably nineteen to twenty nine I I suffered with them and it took me um a long time to implement the things that would have the the most positive effect Mm. um and there's a whole host of reasons that I'm conscious of now that were kind of triggering it um but giving up smoking uh Mm. exercising regularly getting an early night you know Mm. sleep it's it's you know it sounds very simple and we all know this stuff Mm. and we all go yeah yeah I know that but actually, it's really significant for me to make mm. sure that I take care of myself. And I try to exercise five or six times a week um, just because mentally I'm in a much better place mm. if I do that. I've just recently taken up meditation, which is, again, has been really positive for me. Mm. Um, and, and I think over that period of time, I just started experimenting with things that were... Um, making me flourish and things that were dragging me down Mm. and I've kind of continued that over the the last 15 years of Mm. okay well what if I take out this or add this in what Mm. difference does that make to me Um, I I stopped drinking actually uh, at New Year's Eve um, and that was another big significant shift for me that I felt much better for So now I'm really intrigued. What is a typical day like for you? Is there anything that you do religiously every every morning or evening? Um, So I I tend to exercise first. So I I get up and kind of I have my little. I quite like my habits and my routine. So Mm. I'll I'll get myself. I'll have a Barocca, which I'm always like. (laughs) I'm not getting sick. I'm definitely not. Um, You're either a Barocca person or you're not. Yeah, definitely (laughs) not. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I've got friends that absolutely hate it. And I've got sort of zen-like hippie people that are, you need to have ginger and lemon and not have a Barocca. But I'm like, yeah, but the Barocca seems to be working, so I'm going to stick with it. Um, so I tend to go straight in the gym, um, unless I've got a business in Australia. So occasionally I'll have to go to the gym after a conference call with Oz if that's been booked in a little bit early. But I, I like to do that first. It puts me in a good space. As sad as it is, I do now... Um, d- do a 10 minutes meditation off the back of the gym which again I've just recently added in Mm. um and then I'll I'll start to get to grips with the day but I I don't work on a a fixed basis so I'm not a nine to five in Mm. the office and I don't expect my people to either so we're introducing smart working throughout the business and I'm very much a fan of people um, working to their own rhythm mm. to be productive. Mm. I think forced working 
schedules are really unhealthy mm. to the individuals and I don't think you get the best out of people and society as well a thousand everyone percent. coming in at nine o'clock in the morning there's Stupid. this huge atmosphere um breaking that up a little bit getting people to come in at different times and not only help our services but um keep morale up i think it's just stupid it makes no logical sense at all it puts a massive strain on the infrastructure it's bad for the environment it's Mm. bad for families Mm. like i i want the people that work for me that have kids to be able to drop them off at school Mm. and then start at work because Mm. that's you know if if we're trying to build a society that works for everybody Mm. then we have to find ways to to be flexible and and make it work for everybody Mm. and you know I'm really proud of the fact that my people aren't missing the first day at school or Mm. the first rugby match or or whatever and I would argue quite strongly that we outperform our competitors in Mm. terms of deliverables and you know you look at what the team have managed to achieve over the last few years Mm. um, without funding without that corporate infrastructure and Mm. you go well you know that they're not they're not letting anybody down for sure mm. but that they they're also engaging with their family and hopefully are a lot more emotionally grounded than they would be mm. i think with uh, with smart working a lot of people resist it because um because if you're not seen to be in the office for those hours it's it's almost like you're not working those hours if if your people are working flexibly what are you implementing in your organization that can help track their progress and those deliverables you see again i think this is really simple for me i i wouldn't hire somebody that i didn't trust and if they broke that trust then that would be a you know that would be a completely different story you you have to have i like outcome-based work so we all know what we're driving towards um we have trading meetings every week where everyone comes in and updates on um where you know what their numbers are they sort of have five headline kpis and we're Mm. all tracking it we're all supporting each other um i don't need to have a um visibility on how they're making that work Mm. i wouldn't dream of asking my my chief commercial officer where they were when they called me or what they would like it just it 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 just wouldn't occur Mm. because i trust her i trust that she's got the business's best interests at heart Mm. and she knows all of the things that we've got to deliver just as well as i do so Mm. you know yeah trust uh you can't um trust is a huge thing for organizations and i think especially if we're going to be working in a more flexible way going forward um but i think it's it all comes within the culture right and it sounds like you've put the culture of your company first when building the team yeah it's uh, well i I don't think as a as a sort of um startup self-funded business you can do anything other than lead with culture Mm. because I won't be able to compete on um, package benefits in the traditional way or Mm. salaries or um, so I have to find ways to get that talent in um, in innovative ways Mm. so um, the the, I'm I'm actually um, going to the smart working festival in Cornwall at the end of the month they've asked me to speak about my team and how that's kind of um, developed and it was it it was really interesting because they sort of they asked me to come and do it and I thought 
well, I kind of buy into smart working, but am I going to give a talk on it? Like, I'm not a smart working expert. And then I kind of I, I sat down and started sort of mapping it through, and it was like, actually, you know, everything that we do is around this concept. Mm-hmm. I, I've always been a smart worker. I mean, I went travelling for a year when I'd had the business for three, four years, and nobody died, the business was fine. <laughs> um, I lived in L.A. for two years. You know, that you don't have to be physically present somewhere mm-hmm. to, to have an impact. I mean, my newest business venture is in Sydney, mm-hmm. and, you know, th- that's fine. I've got somebody out there that I trust implicitly mm-hmm. that's doing a fantastic job, and I've, we've built the infrastructure around her to support her. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but the, the interesting thing with Cornwall, well, they're developing this smart working hub, okay. um, which I think is a fabulous idea. And you think about the potential for it with society, mm. because actually you've got so many jobs in the centre of London that people are competing for talent. Mm. There's a churn and yeah, there's this real intensity and, mm. and actually real stress around London. If you walk around, you can see it in yeah. people's faces. Especially at nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Especially at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, and you look at somewhere like Cornwall and they've got massive um, employment issues there. But they've also got a, a hotbed of data scientists. Um, which really? who knew but <laughs> logically if you look at the type of personality that that um, is attracted to that kind of work you can kind of see why they might want to be able to go and do surfing in the afternoon and, and work their numbers you know mm. in, in the morning or however they want to structure their day so smart working gives me an opportunity to tap into um, untapped talent mm. Uh, and that talent is, you know, everybody's fighting over those data scientists in London. Mm. These guys want to live the life that they want to live in Cornwall. Mm. If I can give them access to that, I get massively ahead of the competition. Mm. And so for me, it's, you know, it, 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 it's logical. It also gives me a, a, a secret weapon in, in my toolbox mm. to be able to, to grow the business. No, I think that's really interesting. Um, my next question was going to be about uh, building a team at a young age. How did you find the whole experience, um, bringing people in at different ages with different experiences than you um, early on in your career? Yeah, so I think, um, and I've been quite vocal about the experience that I had trying to look for funding in the past and the challenges that I had with some of the, the, the people that I came across. Um, I've definitely had uh, experiences where it hasn't quite worked out. Mm. And I think that um, people can't help themselves with their natural biases. Mm. So um, certainly walking into a bank at 24, female, not much experience behind me, Mm. I wasn't taken very seriously. Um, And in hiring the team, I, I have made mistakes in the past where I've brought somebody in that I thought had a skill set and a competency that we needed but they possibly couldn't assimilate with the culture Mm. in the way that that you want and that that happens yeah um do I think the um the insurance industry has probably got a certain amount of staidness in it and if you're looking for experience you've got to carefully balance that with experience that comes with a growth mindset and an Mm. open-minded mindset Mm. in order for them to accept the dynamic um within the team that you know we're 70 percent female um in if i've got 270 people over half of them are under 30 
um, yeah. and a lot of them are in the north of England, um, which is again is a different dynamic to mm. to, to to the south. So you need people that can see past the surface stuff and mm. and and see the the character traits and competencies within the team that that kind of um, surpass any of that any of that. Mm. And you just mentioned um, the struggles you faced when getting investment um, as a twenty four year old woman. Can you tell us a bit about that and how how um, you overcame it? Yeah. So. Um, I was talking about this yesterday, actually, and I'd, I'd kind of forgotten or put it to the back of my mind. So when I when I first set up, I thought, okay, um, you know, what what's what am I going to do? Mm. Um, unfortunately, the business model was instantly income generative, so it was a tough gig. But I knew that if I spent five hours on the phone, um, I could generate a certain amount of revenue that would cover the cost and kind of start to, to, to get me some traction. But I also wanted to bring in other people. So mm. um, I thought if I can get a little bit of investment, I'll be able to kind of push us a bit further forward. So I'll go and see my bank manager, who was one of the most patronising individuals I've ever had the misfortune to meet. Um, elderly guy. I walk in, I'm 24, female, and he starts to, in painstaking detail, um, explain the concept of gearing to me. Mm. Um, And the way that he articulated it was, um, the thing is, Samantha, um, what you need to realise is that if you wish to borrow £40,000, we as a bank will need to see that you have £40,000 somewhere else that we can leverage against. That's the way that gearing works. And I was like, what? why, if I had £40,000, would I then put it in a bank account that I couldn't touch, that you then lend me £40,000 and charge me for? I just, I can't, I can't get my head around this mm. at all. And he, he was just so, so bad. Um, and so, and then, to add insult to injury, I had a personal overdraft that I'd had when I'd had the really good job. <laughs> and he, um, he said, and, and now you're not working for this firm anymore. I think it's probably prudent for us to remove your personal overdraft. Oh, <laughs> I was like, hang on a sec. You know, I've, not only are you not lending me the money, but you're yeah. actually pulling away more support for me. So I realised that that was probably not going to be productive. And instead decided right well I'm gonna you know I'm gonna row my own boat and I will find a way to make this work and and really what I did was find um, business partners that had a requirement for my service that wanted more of it Mm. um, and got them to help me fund some of these projects so um, there was a firm of solicitors that wanted to work with us at the time wanted more business offers than we could give and I said well it's up to you but you know if if you can upfront fund some of this stuff, I can get more deliverables to you. And so I just leveraged those relationships mm. to be able to get us to to the next stage. Wow, great negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to think it worked very well for them too. Um, and why not just stop with one company? That's my big <laughs> question. <laughs> why three more? Yeah. So um, what inevitably happens? Um, is that an opportunity will come your way. So you look at Australia as mm-hmm. a great example in that um, somebody approached me and said, uh, I think there's an opportunity in the Australian market. They shared some data with me 
and curiosity got the better of me and so I flew out there and started to have some meetings with some people and thought yeah this is this is possible now I'm not uh, so naive to think that I can do all of this by myself it comes Mm. back to when you talk about adding to a team there's Mm. also like a corporate dynamic to that um so I kind of promised myself I wouldn't do Australia unless I could get the right business partners to come in with me Mm -hmm. um and so I went and started talking to some VCs over there. Um, I went and saw a media agency to see if we could structure a deal around marketing, etc. And as it as it happened, everything came together in the right way, and, and we are now able to launch this female insurance brand over in Australia. And I've got funding, and I've got a partner wow. that can get the marketing out, and and so forth. So, for me, the the, the adding in extra businesses is about these different opportunities that maybe you need a slightly different team Mm. um, or you need investment or uh, you know a a, a different kind of angle on on things building them kind of separately enables me to be able to do that I, I don't always think that kind of trying to put everything under the same roof mm. works because you get hampered by your own infrastructure and your own they, they, they mm. talk about the company's immune system destroying new things mm. and I've I've seen it because people can't help themselves they will mm. start to create their own kingdoms with, within your business mm. and when you try and bring in new talent or strong personalities they'll, they'll fight against it mm. and sometimes it's just easier to to build it slightly outside especially cross-border as well because the culture is so different absolutely tell us a bit about the culture in australia i love the aussies <laughs> um so i think I, everyone does <laughs> i do but i think they're more so i tried to set up a business in california in 2010 um and i thought that the yanks would be am i allowed to use the word yanks i don't know if it's um but i thought that they'd be a little bit more uh open but actually i found them to be quite territorial around um business not not like i i think brits have an innate sense of fairness generally which i think is probably what's and we won't get into it but (laughs) one of the challenges around brexit is that we're really coming up against some of our core values Mm. in terms of what we believe to be right and fair Mm. um the aussies have that too they have that sense of fairness Mm. and i um I just, I've, I just found them to be so open to building something together and, and having a, 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 a win-win. But you're right, you, you need somebody that, that gets it on the ground. Mm. And the um, general manager that I've got over there is a lady called Renee. Um, is, she lives in Sydney, um, but she's very much culturally aligned to our business, but she obviously understands the Australian dynamic. Mm. And... It's that combination of the two that I think Mm. really, really works. Mm. Um, And on that point, 67% of your directors are women. Was that a conscious decision? Um, I like to say I just hire the best person for the job and it's not my fault that that's the way that the percentages (laughs) um, run out. I mean, I certainly didn't say, right, it has to be um, women. But I I think um, going back to the smart working Mm. scenario we're quite an attractive option for women because of the flexibility that we offer, which means that in terms of talent pool, I think I'm able to get the absolute best. Mm. Um, uh, I I heard a great quote, which I'll probably be hated for, but I still think it's absolutely fantastic. It was one of the... the, um, 
the most infamous feminist. And she was on a, a panel and somebody said to her, uh, when will you know we've got there? Mm. When will you know that, um, that we've, we finally reached equality? And she said, when I'm sat in a boardroom and I see as many mediocre women as I do men. Mm. And I, <laughs> I thought that was brilliant mm. because I do see that for women to be in senior positions, um, that they have to be exceptional, mm. which means that if I can attract that exceptional talent in the business, again, it gives me a real edge over the, 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 the competition. Mm. And have you experienced any challenges having such a um, such a large proportion of your team as female? Um, in terms of their own dynamic or outside of the business? Um, in terms of the, the business as a whole, having 70% of your directors as female, there's a preconception that of maternity leave and... Um, and time away from work. Are there any challenges you faced having a huge, a larger proportion of your workforce as female? I think that's such a red herring. Um, so a number of the women have had children whilst mm. they've worked for me. Mm. Um, what I find is that, as with with all of these things, they pull together as a team. Mm. So you know, and, and also you know they 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 find a way to make it work for for them so mm. I, I just I, I don't think that this idea it's it's only a problem if you make it a problem mm. this idea that um if you're not in the office being seen by the ceo till eight o'clock at night you don't care i just think is absolute nonsense because a lot of the supposed work that people are doing adds no value whatsoever mm. I, I i find that the the women that i have on my team so one of my directors um has two young children still doesn't work full time um but by god is she efficient when she's in mm. because she values her time she values her time with her children she mm. values her time and work so she's very clear about what meetings she's having with who and how to how to structure it and mm. I, I i find that generally across the dynamic they just mm. cut out all the nonsense and just get stuff done Mm. And if the culture is there within the organisation, returning back from maternity leave, is, it becomes a lot easier. It's 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 just for me, it's a total non-issue. Right? I, I and I I love. I think it's in Sweden where they force both men and women to take the same amount of maternity mm. and up to two years as and, well. yeah and I, I do think and it's one of the things that I'm trying to explore we've just changed our maternity package because it was woefully inadequate it was one of those things that we um, hadn't really addressed because again funding restrictions and, mm. and we're, we, we've just launched a, a new um, brand um, within group and the brand promise that we've got is doing right by you mm. Um, and the first thing that we've had to do is we, we started with the staff. Are we doing right by the staff? Yeah. And so we set up a Freedom to Speak, which is an anonymous platform where people can voice any concerns that they've got, what they're not happy with. Um, I also do lunch with um, sort of eight randomly picked people from the business every six weeks. And again, okay. they can sit down and abuse me thoroughly for <laughs> anything that I've done that I, I shouldn't have done. Um, but our maternity package was raised at, at that point because it, it wasn't mm. sufficient. And when we sat and looked at it, we were like, it, 
yeah, we got to do something about this. Mm. Um, but I, I, I think for me, the, the next step is trying to balance that out. Um, we've increased the paternity as well, mm. um, but but I, I can completely buy into the idea that if men are also given the opportunity to, to stay at home and spend time with the kids, you'll, you'll take away this real onus that all of that responsibility has to sit on women and therefore mm. the sacrifice that they have to make is their career in order to have children which is Mm. just it's not fair Mm. and um on your company's beliefs and values you uh, state that you give 10 percent of profits back 10 percent of profits back to staff and 10 percent to grassroots charity partners can you tell us a bit about why you decided to do that um and some of the initiatives you're involved in yeah so that this is a um a relatively new thing in terms of that level of commitment from us. Um, I think early doors, we would we were just trying to survive. <laughs> um, and also, I probably went through a bit of a brat stage when we'd started to make really serious money and, you know, did the usual stuff of buying myself a Lamborghini and behaving <laughs> like a, an idiot. Um, so I, I, I kind of came full circle and, you know, started to ask, w- w- what's the function of a business? What, what really, what? what should we be doing and yes business's primary driver is supposed to be to 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 grow mm. and and to create profits but actually i think the increasingly um particularly with the absolute chaos around our our government there is a responsibility for businesses to also give back to the communities that they operate in mm. So whilst we were building and not making much profit, we we started introducing time bank days for the people where they could um, volunteer in their sort of favourite charities and get involved in projects um, during working hours. And Mm. I I found it to be such a massive um, upside from from, uh, a morale basis and Mm. culture basis. But also we were starting to attract people to the business because they they, they liked that. So Mm. it, it it made a lot of sense. Um, and we are really starting to run with that now, now that we have got some money that we can actually reinvest, mm. but also kind of having that strategy around it and making sure that it's focused in, in, in the right way. And so um, there's a couple of new projects that we started to engage with um, around schools in, in the north of England and how we uh, create opportunities for children there that, that might not get access to, to mm. certain networks. The, the Mayor of Manchester, um, Andy Burnham, uh, has introduced an, a number of what I think are really positive initiatives mm. um, because his, his whole um, thing is around social mobility. And I get that. I get that because of the privileged position that I'm in my children will have access to networks that other people's children would not Mm. and you forget that you forget Mm. the fact that you know if Frankie wants to be a solicitor when she's older Mm. I can probably phone up uh, a friend and say would you give us some work experience Mm. the same is not true for for children in in some of the more deprived socioeconomic Mm. groups in 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 Manchester so Andy's done um a uh, program where all 16 to 18 year olds have been given free bus passes so that they can all travel freely which I think is fantastic Mm. Um, but he's also engaged with employers like us to say can you uh, can you take some of these kids in can you do workplace safaris Mm. would I be prepared to have 
somebody shadow me for the day mm. and so we've just kind of embraced this stuff and kind of started to infiltrate it into the business mm. and um for me personally like it's a lot of fun like yeah. it gives me an opportunity to be creative in a different way and to engage with people that I might not normally come into contact with but for the for the business it, itself I increasingly find that it makes the people feel so much more proud of where they work and mm. and connected to 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 us as a company mm. no, I think it's fantastic and I only wish more companies did it yeah yeah me too <laughs> So my last question is really going to be around what is your um, your biggest tip for someone that's thinking about or starting a career in insurance? Um, so my, my biggest tip, and it's probably slight personal agenda, but um, for me, it's keep challenging. Like, I think as an industry, we need to change and we'll only do that mm. if we have mirrors put up in front of us more um and and I, I think we've got a huge potential to to be so much more than we are today so um on, on a personal basis people coming into the industry don't be afraid to ask the stupid question um don't be afraid to challenge something that doesn't seem quite right to mm. you um because I, I do think it's a great industry there's loads of opportunities um there's there's loads of opportunities to to do good um, so I'm hopeful that we get, you know, new fresh talent that's um, a bit feisty and <laughs> is prepared to, to ask the, the difficult stuff. I completely agree. Thank you so much for coming in, Sam, and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to the ISC podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate, subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. You can get more information about the ISC at www.theinsurancesupperclub.com. Our show is produced by Connor Sweetman of Breakthrough Media. I'm Lara Pedley. See you next time.